Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. And if you're able, I'll invite you to stand for our gospel reading. Friends, this is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. This is the gospel. It is the story of God, and it is our hope. So let's listen now with open ears. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanian, Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, And so therefore give without payment. Friends, this is the gospel of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. And let's take a few minutes to see what we can see. Father, Son, Spirit. Would you give us this morning ears to hear? Would you give us eyes to see? Would you help us to think deep? true thoughts about you, about our own lives. About the trajectory of our lives, where they're headed, where they've been. Would you grant us peace? A peace that comes with knowing that you are at ease with us. you love us, that you're here with us. That while our invitation is to serve you as followers and servants, that those invitations come 
long after the invitation to be your friend. And would you come, Holy Spirit? May only over the next few minutes, truth be spoken. And may only truth be received. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. The passage in the gospel reading this morning opens with Jesus traveling about, as Jesus does, teaching and proclaiming in the different synagogues and neighborhoods and homes and parties the good news of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom. And there's a movement that happens in this gospel story. It happens at a few other times in the gospels. And it's this movement that Jesus invites his friends into the very thing that he's doing. There's a subtle movement. And you see Jesus, who is the smartest person who's ever lived. There's just deep wisdom and Uh, Oftentimes he'll show his cards for what it is that he's attempting to do. But a lot of times Jesus is doing something that's very intentional, but at the time not incredibly obvious to his friends. And if I'm honest, sometimes still not incredibly obvious to me. But one of the things that Jesus is doing in his relationship with these friends is he's getting them ready for his eventual physical absence. He will be with them. He promises them, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will send the Holy Spirit. In fact, it will be to your benefit that I leave for another is coming of the same essence and substance. So if you like him, you're going to like the Spirit. But he's getting them ready for not always having Jesus physically present to be able to look either with a smile or a nod or a laugh and go, here's the answer. Here's probably what you should have said. I understand why you said that. Maybe we try it this way the next time, Peter. I don't know. And he's beginning to get them ready. He's beginning to get them ready. And in doing that, he's subverting their expectations. He's subverting their expectations for what a Messiah would be, who is going to be some, some image of an earthly king, an earthly ruler, who from on high would pass down decrees, who would punish you if you went against those decrees. What Jesus is beginning to do is actually something that is we take for granted. We have uh, uh, familiarity with how this story is going to go in some ways. What Jesus is going to begin to do is subvert their expectations that Jesus is going to do it all. The Messiah that shows up is a very different from Messiah than what they expected in a lot of different ways. But one of them was that we have a Messiah who's not going to do it all himself. And the great wisdom of how God created and established this world to work. In his great wisdom, he set it up to require us to cooperate with God in a conversational cooperating friendship in order not only to be fully human, but for this world to be truly all that it was meant to be. It's the song that Brendan wrote years ago that we sang this morning. Being blessed to be a blessing. It's the movement Jesus is doing with his friends, and it's a movement Jesus invites us into even this morning, even in our lives now, is to cooperate with God. It's the reason why Jesus will look out on the crowds, and his instinctual response is to be moved by compassion to those in need. One of the things I've wrestled with. 
writing the sermon this week was very difficult for some reason. At first I thought it was just two 10-hour days at the pool. You think I'm kidding? Two 10-hour days at the pool. You can see the limp that I have and our oldest have with bloody toes because we spent so much time. Apparently they decided to put glass down when they resurfaced the pool this summer. But I think the resistance um, goes a little bit deeper. Because I think one of the things that I've wrestled with is a little bit of compassion fatigue. There are just issues. There are needs. There are places of hurt. Not just in the world, but even in my own life. The deepest parts of me. That it has just become if I can be honest, weary to continue to care about. Because it feels like the need and the pain is so overwhelming. I have days when I go, "Mm, what I do doesn't matter. How I vote doesn't matter. The conversations I have with friends don't matter. How we're trying to raise our children doesn't matter. It all just doesn't matter. You don't have to raise your hand, but I have a feeling I'm not the only one. So it's really great that Jesus looks out upon the crowds and is moved with compassion. That is his instinctual response. For some of you, it has over time become more and more your instinctual response. The danger is if you are in the place I am, we have a decision to make. And the decision is, right, this is the decision I'm faced with, and I think the decision that many of us are faced with. Do we, out of desperation in what seems like a hopeless situation, harden our hearts so that we no longer feel the compassion? Because in some ways, that would be very easy. That if the pains can't be healed, if the wounds can't be fixed, then we will just numb ourselves to the pain. It's the reason why some of us are so addicted to numbing ourselves. It's the drinking too much. It's the pornography. It's the sexual relationships outside the bounds of marriage. It's the doom scrolling. Anything that we can do to avoid the pain and the grief of what it means to be human in this world. To be rescued by, to be invited into a kingdom that is ruled by a loving, compassionate king who doesn't do everything himself. But instead looks at us and says, pray. I don't know how you heard growing up this verse. The laborers are few, but the harvest is plenty. We usually heard it on missions week. So I have a little bit of baggage when it comes to this verse. It sort of got pigeonholed into this kind of purely tell people that God doesn't have to be mad at you if you'll just say a certain incantation and be covered by the blood. The problem is, is that the verses just before this don't say that Jesus 
is in the synagogues teaching a specific theory of atonement. It's saying that Jesus is teaching that the kingdom of God has drawn near and he was healing the sick and casting out the demons. He was making people whole. Which means that when he looks out upon the crowds and says the harvest is plenty, it is not a harvest of souls. I had a professor in Bible college who would brag endlessly about the number of souls that he had saved. It became a joke for me and my friends. The whole class was a joke. At some other time, not with a mic, I will tell you why the class was so incredibly fun. It was, it's bad, but I'm resisting would brag about the number 3,000 souls in my day. How do you even count that? Jesus looks upon the crowd. He sees people who need to be made whole. It involves believing that God is who God is, that God is Christ-like. But it also means that there's real power and real energy, the real actual presence and protection of God that is now available to us. The kingdom of God was not begun by Jesus. The kingdom of God has always existed but it is now made available to people who it had not been available to previously. Jesus is going around not just teaching on the lecture circuit. He is healing. He is feeding. He is partying. He is crying. He's laughing. He's with people. And so when he looks out on the crowd and then turns to his friends and goes, pray for more laborers, does he just end it there in some kind of weird prayer meeting? He looks to them and go, now go. Doesn't say just pray. He says, you are the answer to your prayers. God looks upon our world, looks upon you and me. And God's instinctual response is not, as some of us have been led to believe, to burn it all. That's us remaking God in our own image. It's idolatrous. God looks upon a world in desperate need to be made whole. And God calls us as followers of Jesus, as friends of God, into a conversational, cooperating friendship that leads to not only us little by little becoming more whole, but to also become the very agents of wholeness in the lives of our neighbors and our friends and our family and our enemies. This is the move that Jesus is making with his friends. That you are sent into the world as women, as men, as children who are being made whole. Because you have said yes to the radical availability of God's kingdom. That we're actually experiencing change and transformation. And that we become in the ways in which God has called us. Each uniquely. Right, this is the thing. Jesus could have come as any of you. In any of your vocations, whether you are a teacher, a nurse, an artist, a stay-at-home parent, a teacher at the university, whatever it is that you do, Jesus could have come 
in your job and accomplish exactly what it is that he wanted to do. The invitation to participate, to become like him, which I actually think is actually possible. I've experienced it and seen it too much to believe anything else. Is the invitation where you are, as you are, and the story you are in, to begin to be curious about where God might make you want to make you whole. Because it will be out of our own wholeness and wholeheartedness that we're able to sit with the uncomfortability of the way the world is. But not to do so with people who don't have hope. Because we do have hope. Because the one who is and will always be moved by compassion even when we are worn out and exhausted. Always sees, always knows. I didn't write any of that down. Yesterday, we were sitting at the pools, one of those 10-hour days. People always ask, and it's always going to be the same answer with the spillers. What do y'all do during the summer? We are pool rats. Like, it's just, we lunch and dinner there as often as we can. It's just what we do. I was sitting there with a group of friends, and one of them just very quietly looks out of the pool. And she goes, if aliens were to show up right now, what do you think they would say about this human soup? I was like, well, you may have ruined the pool for me. First of all. <laughs> and secondly, what would they say? If they sort of, I promise you this is going somewhere. For them to have shown up and been like, okay, what is going on? If there was some way for you to step back in a way that was objective, to see your life, all of it, the parts seen and unseen, those parts that you would rather keep hidden and those parts you would not. And you were somehow able to sort of set it out before you. And like the alien rolling into the pool going, the soup thing's weird. If you were to be able to look at your life as a whole, And just ask the question, based off of this life, based off of where it's been and where it's going, what's the good news? What's the movement? Where is it headed? And my intention here isn't to stir up shame. Many of us, most of us, are not where we thought we would be. Stories haven't quite played out the way we thought they'd play out. But if we were to look, and based off of where we are and where we're going, how would we answer questions like, what is the good life? Who has the good life? Who is a whole person? And how do you become whole? 
we live, I've mentioned this before, we live in an age of gurus. There are, I forget at last count, several hundred thousand podcasts. And don't get me wrong, I love me a podcast. Vast majority of them are dedicated to telling you how to live the good life. They're not all bad. Some of them are really great. But I wonder how often we look to Jesus to ask, what does it mean to live a good life? What does it mean to be made whole? And what we're going to find is Jesus in unexpected places in our own stories, in our own souls, and Jesus inviting us. We talk about, I, I'm guilty of this too, talking about friendship, of, friendship with God the way in which I thought about friendship as a child. Everything was going to be great. going to have my best friend, and we're just going to get along, and we're going to have sleepovers and parties and all the things. And then you become an adult, and you realize friendship is hard. You become a teenager, and you realize friendship is really hard. Someone you like, you're like, I don't think I like them anymore. Or they don't like you. They hurt you. They wound you. You hurt them. You wound them. And sometimes the overly romantic ideas of friendship can make their way even into when we think about friendship with God. Friendship with God is incredibly risky. Because where you most often find Jesus is with people in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, and on the, margin, in, on the corners of those who are marginalized. In really unexpected places. Friendship with God is not pie in the sky. It's not safe in the way we would often think of safety. But it is what it means to be human. And it is the place and the relationship in which we are made whole. Jesus looks out of the crowd and says, pray and then go. And I don't think he means just asking. Let me ask you this. I'll ask you to actually respond. What makes for a good friendship? What makes for a good friendship? It could be, there's no wrong answer at this point. And you can actually talk out loud. What makes for a good friendship? Common interest. Common interest. Trust. Trust. Radical acceptance. Radical acceptance. Showing up. Showing up. Vulnerability. Vulnerability. Shared time. Shared time. Being able to listen to one another. Laughter, silence, joy, grief. What else? Love, loyalty. Friends, what makes for good friendship makes for good prayer. What makes for friendship makes for good prayer. And it's in those spaces that we move from acquaintances to friends with God. Where God makes us whole, begins to move us toward others who are in need of wholeness too. Not just to sort of go, hey, I'm unwhole, you're unwhole, let's hang out together. There are spaces for that. But to also go, what does it look like to begin together with God to move toward wholeness? Jesus looks at the crowd. 
moved with deep compassion. He looks to his friends. And says, pray. Be my friends. Be their friends. And in this friendship, we will be made whole. And so God, I recognize that even as I say this, even in parts of my own story, friendship feels so dangerous and risky. Not just friendship with your friends, but also friendship with you. And so we're healing is needed, would you heal? Where strengthening is needed, would you strengthen? Where courage is needed, would you give courage? And would you help us, Holy Spirit, to become people who little by little are being made whole by you and with you? And would you give us eyes to see those who are unwell. Not that we might give stones, but bread. Not that we would give serpents, but fish. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.